18, starting at verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, And now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, What if only forty are found there? He said, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only twenty can be found there? He said, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Great. Well, we're continuing on tonight in our series in Genesis, looking at the life of 
who is now Abraham. We've been calling him Abraham for a few weeks, but it's nice that he got his name changed. And now we can call him Abraham properly, which is, which is helpful. It helps with my confusion. Um, let's, let's pray as we, as we consider God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you as we've been praying uh, that you promised to speak to us through your word. Uh, but Lord, we pray for ourselves as hearers of your word that we might not only hear it clearly tonight, but we might be doers as well, Lord, as we're thinking about this whole topic of justice and the people of God. Lord, help us to be listening to what you have to say about justice and uh, what you want us to do as a result. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I thought I'd start off a question this evening. Um, when has, have you seen someone show tremendous bravery? When have you seen someone show tremendous bravery? Perhaps in your life, perhaps on uh, the TV, in a film or in a book. Um, I think one example that, that stuck with me recently, something that's been in the news, is uh, of this young man. This is Mamadou Gassama. Uh, some of you might recognize him. He was in the news uh, a few weeks ago. He currently lives in France. And uh, a few weeks ago, he scaled four stories to rescue a four-year-old boy. Um, the video is absolutely remarkable. Uh, this boy, four-year-old, clinging on by his fingertips. And this guy, they've called him the French Spider-Man, uh, climbs up these four stories to rescue him without, without care for his own safety, focused on, on rescuing this young boy. Here's a picture of him with the French president, Emmanuel Macron, as well, receiving uh, French citizenship because of his bravery. Now, um, in today's passage in Genesis 18, this, this second half that we're looking at, um, Abraham is, is doing something brave as well. He is asking some very brave questions of God's character, in particularly God's justice. But as he's doing this, uh, he's asking these questions, it's, it's helpful for us to remember that the big word we've been looking at as we think about the story of Abraham in Genesis, and that word is covenant. And it, it's a rich word dripping with, with all kind of meaning. And, and we were defining it last time when we were looking at this passage. That a covenant, when, when God uses it in the Bible, is God's promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. And as we've been looking through Genesis, we've seen how that starts as God's commitment, God's promise to do that, that it is received by faith. That's how we come into the covenant community, by trusting God, taking his promise. And we take it seriously. Um, But when we get to uh, today's passage, we're going to think about what it means to live that out as the people of God and to practice justice. What it means to be the people of God when it comes to justice. Now, um, just to explain these first, uh, the first bit in this, this passage, verse 16, where they were talking about these men. Um, just before that, we didn't have time to read that, in, in Genesis 18, you've got these three men who turn up at, at Abraham and Sarah's tent out in the wilderness. These three men. And it transpires and turns out that one of them is God himself. He's come down to visit Abraham and Sarah and brought with him two messengers or two angels to tell Sarah, just like he was telling Abraham last time, that they will have a child. Now, the promise of the child, as we remember, is really important because God's promised to bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants. And for that to happen, Abraham's got to have some descendants, hasn't he? He's got to have some children. 
But God has promised again, he had turned up and spoke with Abraham and Sarah, that they are going to have this child. But then the second half of the chapter helps us to think about justice. And the first thing we see in this, this part of the passage is that actually all of us, we are all called to act justly. That is the requirement for people who live inside of God's covenant, who are in a relationship with God. We are all of us called to act justly. It's not an optional extra. It's not something that we can just tack on if we want a bit of spice to our Christian life. All of us, young or old, if we're followers of the Lord Jesus, are called to act justly. And it's raised in this passage with with this conundrum that that Abraham experiences, um, thinking about Sodom, this place where his nephew Lot is living. And we get told it's a pretty terrible place. Um, But he's questioning this whole idea, what is the right thing to do? What does justice look like with the injustice that is taking place in Sodom, this place of wickedness? And how's God going to react to it? Well, there are two types of, of, of justice, really, and two ways that God could react. One of them, you might say, the first type of justice is punitive. It's punishing the wrongdoer for what they've done. So if someone has, has robbed, then they are punished for that crime. If someone's killed someone, they are punished for that crime. That's punitive justice. But the other type of justice, as well, is restorative justice. That's why we've got these pictures of the different steps that, that people set themselves up above others. And restorative justice is making things fair again, bringing things back to a level playing field. So Abraham's thinking, what is the right thing to do? And he questions God about this. Have a look at the beginning in verses 16 and 17. So when the men got up to leave, this is God and these two other angels, they looked down towards Sodom. They're up in, in, in the hills. They can see down in the valley this city of Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Let me pause there. Why is, why is God sharing his thoughts with Abraham at this point? Well, it's not because God doesn't know what to do. And he's asking Abraham, Abraham, will you tell me what to do? I'm just not sure what to do about this problem with Sodom and all the injustice. Now, you see, God wants Abraham to understand his justice. If Abraham is to be a, like an example and, and to set the mold for what it looks like for God's people in his covenant to act justly, God wants Abraham to understand how that justice works. God wants Abraham to hear these words that he's saying. So Abraham can understand what justice looks like. It's a little bit like if you were teaching a child about gardening. Let's say you look out at the lawn, you've got, got a child, and you could tell them, just go and pick up the weeds. You need to get rid of the weeds, just go and pick them up. But actually, a far more effective way of teaching that child is to say, now, what are we going to do with these weeds? You're engaging the child, aren't you, with, with your thought process and how you think about problems, not just telling them to do something, but helping them to engage and to think how you would act in that situation. And that's what God amazingly is doing with Abraham. He's allowing him into his thought process. What are we going to do about this injustice? What are we going to do about this serious problem in Sodom? God wants Abraham to understand his justice, but also he wants Abraham's children 
to understand and to practice that justice too. Have a look down at verse 19. God says, for I have chosen him, he's talking about Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. By doing what is right and just. God wants not just Abraham to understand how to display justice, whether it's punitive, whether it's punishing wrongdoing, or whether it's restorative. But he also wants Abraham's descendants to do that too. To understand justice. To practice justice in their lives where they have opportunity to do it. And we see that spelled out in lots of ways in the Old Testament. As you continue through, you see all this Old Testament law that instructs God's people into how to practice justice. How to live out that calling as Abraham's children. Whether that's punishing wrongdoing or restoring, bringing about fairness again. But it doesn't actually end with the Old Testament because it's something that we see in the life of God's people throughout history. And perhaps two very famous examples. Um, William Wilberforce, who lived uh, a couple of hundred years ago, uh, was one of the key people bringing about an end of the injustice in the transatlantic slave trade. A terribly wicked, evil thing driven to that bringing about that injustice because of his Christian faith. Because by faith in God, he was a child of Abraham. He was like Abraham in terms of how he understood God's injustice and hatred of injustice. Or bring it forward into the last century, someone like my hero, um, Corrie ten Boom, who who had the opportunity to, to hide Jews from the Nazis during the Second World War. Hating the injustice of the Nazis killing the Jews, hiding them. That was the opportunity she had. You see, God wants Abraham's children and and people today to practice justice in their lives. to, To desire an end of injustice, of unfairness wherever we see it. And I wonder for us today, where do you see injustice in your life? Does something spark your memory? Does something come to mind? Some injustice that you've witnessed recently? Where do you see it? And the follow-up question is, what are you prepared to do about it? About unfair treatment of people. Whether it's modern um, slavery, like human trafficking. Or maybe it's, it's stuff in school we see people being treated unfairly. Or in the workplace. We see injustice. And because we are God's children, we want to see an end to that. That is why in verse 19, God says that his children, his household after him, are to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Now, of course, the greatest injustice in the world and and what causes all other injustice is sin. It is rebellion. It is turning away from God. That is the worst injustice. And yes, that is where we should start. We want to see people freed from slavery to sin, from the injustice of sin and the world and the devil. But it doesn't stop there, does it? That is that is the key thing that we should be focused about. And it's really exciting that this year we're making evangelism one of our wildly important goals as a church. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on. 
You see, it's true because we have been justified. We've been set right with God. We've been justified. We are crazy about justice. It's not an optional extra. It's required of all of us. And the prophet Micah makes this really clear in in this famous verse in chapter 6. He says, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is what should mark our lives out as Christians, as members of this covenant family, acting justly, loving mercy and walking in humility with God. This is the proof that we have faith in Jesus. If we're not displaying any of those things, then we need to ask some hard questions about the genuineness of our faith. But that's the first thing. And uh, sorry, gone on for a while on that one, that we're all called to act justly. It's not an optional extra. But then we move on and think as, as Abraham questions God, will God do justice? If that's what it means for God's people to act in a just way, well, actually, is God going to do justice in this situation? Will God do justice? Well, have a look at verse 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So we're given a clue here as to the injustice of Sodom. We're told that in verse 20 that their sin is so grievous, it is so terrible. And if that is true, well, it is right then for God to go and sort it out. It wouldn't be very just of God if he just left this injustice carrying on without doing anything about it. In fact, it wouldn't be loving at all, would it, if God just let things be, if there were people who were being oppressed and treated badly, and if God was to do nothing about it or to care nothing about it. That wouldn't be loving at all. There is injustice in Sodom, and because of that, God is going to go and check it out personally. God is going to go and act as a witness, he says this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. God wants to personally see if this is true, that these reports that he's had, that people crying out to him, praying to him, saying, Lord, won't you see what we are suffering? If that is as true as what he has heard. But he's also doing something else. By telling Abraham this, he is setting a principle that he wants Abraham and his followers and his his children and, and, and for us to see. That actually real justice isn't built on hearsay. That that if we if we hear something bad about someone, that we don't immediately make a judgment or 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 do something without getting our facts right. God is going down to sort out the facts and to judge rightly. He is not going to be swayed by any fake news. God is going to act as witness. He will be fair and he will be just. But also we see that God responds to the oppressed. He cares about those who are suffering injustice. He did then and he does today just the same. We see that in verse 21, don't we? He's going to go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Twice he tells us about the outcry that has reached him. Now we're told elsewhere in the Bible that Lot, Abraham's nephew, who's living in Sodom at this time, is crying out to the Lord. 
The question is, are there others? Are there others crying out? Or perhaps not people living in Sodom and Gomorrah, but others who have been badly treated by them. God cares and God responds to the oppressed and their cries to him. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verses 22 and 23 and it starts to get really interesting. The men turned away. So this is this is God and these these two angels turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Or even some versions say the Lord remains standing before Abraham. He is engaging Abraham in a conversation. Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people? Look at what Abraham isn't doing here. He isn't denying the wickedness of the city, is he? He isn't denying the problem. He's not sugarcoating and saying, well, it's not that bad. And yeah, you know, well, some, you know, I'm sure there's worse places in the world. It's not great. He's not denying the wickedness or the injustice that is taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. But rather, his question is, what is God going to do about his justice? And what is God going to do about his mercy? How can God show mercy? God um, has already showed himself to be merciful to Abraham in, in, in making great promises to him, in bringing him out of scraps on several occasions that we've seen over the past few weeks. Abraham knows that God is a God of mercy, but how is he going to show this mercy when there's so much injustice, so much wickedness? Abraham's trying to work it out, and he has genuine concern for this wicked city of Sodom. Now, that may be mainly because he's got a nephew who's living there. We don't know. But he is concerned about this city. He, he believes that there could be as many as 50 righteous people. And Sodom would have been a fairly small city of maybe only a few hundred. Nothing like, you know, the millions of people that live in cities nowadays. A few hundred people there ruled by a king. He wants to know whether the many can be spared because of the few. So he enters into this conversation. He says in verse 24, what if there are 50 righteous people there? Well, surely you're not going to destroy the whole city because you'd, you'd, you'd wipe away all those righteous ones as well. That doesn't feel like your kind of justice, God, from what I've seen of you. Now, 50 people in a, in a city of a few hundred, actually, that's a fair chunk of people, isn't it? That's a decent percentage. But notice what Abraham's doing here. He is pleading with God's character. He's not saying, God, it would be so unfair for you to do that. But he's saying, no, God, that's not what you're like, is it? Not from what I've seen of you. And it is incredibly brave and honest at the same time that Abraham is willing to engage with God in this conversation. And actually, we look at the Psalms and it's full of those kind of pleadings. David and the other psalmists crying out to God, God, won't you do what is right? Won't you bring about justice and mercy? And as amazing as, as this, uh, this question is to God, look how God answers it. Verse 26, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. The answer is yes, he will. That question that Abraham asked in verse 25, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is yes. If he finds 50 people, he won't destroy the city. He will save the whole place. But then that just gets Abraham started. 
And this is an absolutely remarkable passage for what happens next. Because Abraham essentially enters into a kind of a, a bargaining mode with God. Imagine being down at this uh, at the marketplace in, in the Middle East. Well, he's seen God's mercy. And well, how deep does God's mercy go? That's what Abraham wants to know. How far can he bargain with God? So he's asked, well, if, if 50 people are there who are righteous, 50 people who, who love you, who know you, and who call out to you, are there, you will save it. That's great. Well, what about 45? And God says, yes. Well, what about 40? And God says, yes. What about 30? God says, yes. What about 20? Only 20 people. Will you still spare it? God says, yes. What about 10? 10 people. That could just be Lot's family. God says, yes. Amazingly, he will spare it. Despite the terrible injustice, as we'll see next week, the, the wickedness in Sodom. They're complete turning away. If there's ten people, God is willing not to judge it. But this leaves us with a bit of a problem, doesn't it? And if you're, if you're new to this kind of uh, way of thinking that the Bible talks about justice and mercy, then it leaves us with this conundrum. And the conundrum is this, is that on one hand, God has to deal with injustice. God has to deal with sin and with wickedness. And he has to sort it out. He has to make it right. So how can the wicked be saved because of the righteous? We're left in this conundrum. God's got to punish injustice. But how can he save the righteous? We'll have to guess what God would have said. Well, perhaps we don't. If Abraham kept on going with his bargaining. What about five? What about one? And what happens if it wasn't just the city of Sodom? What happens if it was the whole of a fallen humanity, of God's people throughout time, throughout the world? Could a whole people be saved by the righteousness of one? Well, we, to answer that question, then we need to think about the cost of justice, whether God is willing to pay that cost to make that a reality. So what is the cost of justice? Well, firstly, the Bible tells us about the cost for God and how we can answer that conundrum. How can God remain just, yet at the same time show mercy? You see, we've already established that God must do away with injustice. Where there is wickedness, where there is unfairness, where there is evil, where there is slavery, where there is human trafficking, where there is all kinds of wicked things in the world, God must deal with that. He wouldn't be a loving God if he didn't. And he must punish wickedness because of the seriousness of the crime. But at the same time, God wants to show mercy. God wants to save even the wicked And we would be scratching our heads trying to work out how that would happen if it wasn't for the cross and the mystery of the cross. You see, the cross is the place where the anger of God against injustice is poured out, not against us, not against us who have led in unjust lives, who have committed sin, who have who have been wicked in ways, maybe subtle, maybe not so subtle. The anger of God isn't poured out against us. It's poured out against his son, who experiences the wrath of a rightfully angry God, angry at injustice. 
God the Son, Jesus Christ, experiences that so that we don't have to. So that his perfect righteousness, the righteousness of one, might be poured out on us. So that we might have that righteousness just by believing in him. That's how God can remain just and punish wickedness and at the same time show mercy. That's the cost for God. But secondly, there is a cost for us because of that, actually. The cost is because we have been shown that mercy. Back in verse 19, this this is a key one to help us understand this justice of God. Where it says, as we've seen, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. You see, we are to act justly and mercifully towards others. Because we have been shown such great mercy. That means we don't trivialize injustice because we see the cost that it cost God. We don't trivialize it. But because we've been shown such great mercy, how can we do anything but show mercy to others as well? We hate injustice, yes, and we work towards ending injustice. We, we pray against injustice wherever we see it, wherever we see it in our lives. We pray against it, but also we're willing to do something about it as well. To stand up and to take action against injustice. But also we have incredible mercies. We were thinking about this morning and what it means to be a forgiving people, forgiving others, because in Christ we have been forgiven everything. We are to act justly and mercifully with others. There's a cost for God. It cost him his son. There is a cost for us because we have to show this mercy because of the mercy that's been shown to us. But also this passage acts as a warning. This tells us of the cost of not turning to God. Now, perhaps you're here this evening and you're not sure where you stand with God. You're not sure you quite understand what is on offer and what God is willing to do for you or has done for you. Why can I encourage you to keep on going, keep on finding, keep on asking questions until you know for certain what God has done for you? You see, this passage acts as a reminder and encouragement for us that now is the time to do something about it. Just like it was for the city of Sodom. And we'll find out their grim fate next week. You see, now is the time to turn around, to repent, to turn back to God. The Apostle Peter writes this in the New Testament. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord is patient with you. He is patient with us. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Are we going to try and face the justice ourselves? We've already sung about the fact that Jesus will return to judge for what people have done, for whether they have turned to him in faith and obedience. Are we going to trust the fact that he has faced that justice for us? Or are we going to try and face it ourselves? That's not a wise idea. Rather, we are to look to what God has provided to let that melt our our hearts and to move us into pursuing justice and mercy and humility as we walk with God. Amen.